This is a 3CR podcast. And this is Published or Not. Well, I've got Chuck McKenzie with me and he's got joint authors of his book. They're McCready McKenzie and Ripley McKenzie. Just who are McCready and Ripley? Uh, well, um, firstly, thank you very much for having me here. Uh, McCready is a large ginger pusscat. Um, and Ripley is a one-eyed uh, sort of torty uh, cat. She would be four years old now, he would be three. Yeah, and they rule the roost. <laughs> well, the title of the book is Conversations with My Cat. And the first one, the first story, was explaining to your old, uh, the older female cat, Ripley, about bringing a new cat into the house. And I've got the delight to say... We're going to do this as a radio play. A live performance. We've got got Lisa playing the older Ripley, female Ripley. So when we say old, is it correct that she's sort of a teenager-y age? Yeah, she's she's, um, four years old now. Okay. But what's that in cat years? She would would have been one when, uh, when this all happened when McCready came into the household. Okay, so she's quite new. So I'm asking this because we're, it's very much last minute. It's not like we've been <laughs> rehearsing this for like 10 years. No, no brainstorming. Yeah, it's like as in like the last second uh, uh, that we've looked <laughs> at it. And David is going to be the voice of McCready, the new kitten that comes into the show. I and don't look like a kitten. <laughs> this is going to be hard. Well, that's act. what. That's it's, why you've got the yeah, – that's why you're an actor. And Chuck <laughs> is going to be Chuck. He's going to be the owner of these cats. It's a stretch. (laughs) Let's go. Hey, Miss Ripley. Hmm? So, you remember we were talking about getting another cat? No. I mean, we definitely were about a month ago. I recall you saying, wouldn't it be nice to get another cat? Yeah, and you agreed. I believe my exact words were, "Mm mm-hmm. That wasn't an agreement? It was me getting involved in a discussion, is what it was. Ah. Sorry, I just have to turn the page. Is there a particular reason you're bringing this up now? And does it perchance have anything to do with that large box you came in with? Well... It's a rhetorical question. You clearly went out and got another cat. Are you upset? I'm completely ambivalent. Oh, good. But we should probably get a few ground rules sorted before you inflict it. Him. Before you inflict him upon this household and its occupants. Mm, Sounds reasonable. So... Well, first off, separate food bowls. Sorted. And separate litter trays. Oh, absolutely. The the current one is scarcely big enough to deal with your output. (laughs) Meaning what exactly? Meaning that, given the frankly impossible volume of poop that comes out of such a small cat, I sometimes suspect you're actually a TARDIS. Rude! <laughs> and I want separate houses. Right. So you are upset. I'm not upset. I'm just very disappointed. Look, I thought that you'd appreciate another cat to keep you company. <laughs> Have I ever given you the slightest indication that I crave any company other than my own? It seems rude to answer that. I mean, I barely tolerate you. Hey! So, this new cat... Look, come and meet him. I'm sure you'll get along fantastically. Reasonably confident. Stop giving me that look. (laughs) That's my regular, everyday, dealing-with-you look. I don't like it. 
Well, I don't like that you got another cat, so... Come and meet him. He's lovely. I've called him McCready and he's a ginger kitten and he's so cute and he's full of energy and fun. I hate him already. Hate him. Stop that. Look, he's just young and inexperienced in cat stuff. So I'm relying on you to sort of, you know, train him up. Show him the ropes. Teach him how to cat. Huh. What? Well, it's just that I never considered that angle to having to cohabit with another cat. And? I mean, teaching a kitten everything I know... Instructing them on how to make their way in the world. Moulding them. Creating a tiny replica of myself. Compliant to my will. Well... That would make me sort of like a god, wouldn't it? I... Uh, look, let's, let's meet the kitten, okay? Fine. I'll just open the box up. Be gentle and quiet though, okay? He's very little and shy and probably a bit scared. And yours is the first face he'll see... When we open up the box? You monster. I mean it. Be nice and quiet and restrained. Just open the box. Okay, so quietly and gently, let's open up the box and... What's up? (laughs) Too much? Right. I'm off to scowl in the corner. It strikes me that this little family setup could be the perfect basis for a book. Well, you have to leave me out of it. But... Consider my scowl an example of foreshadowing. Okay, fine. I'll make this bit the last bit that you're in, probably. (laughs) And so it is that the conversations are really just between Chuck and McCready. But the subjects that you cover, now, of course, a young kitten. Ah, chewing on alternative things like earphones, laptop power cords and laxative chocolates. Did it all happen, Chuck? Oh, 90% of it happens, even some of the talking. So, yeah, definitely. Some of the talking. Well, at at one stage, McCready gets really upset that you can't understand the difference in his meow. (laughs) I'm fairly good at interpreting it now, but, I mean, pretty much all of the stories, I think, are reflections of what most cat owners go through. There are certain behaviours that every cat, regardless of the personality, goes through. There's the whole thing about wanting to be let out and then not wanting to go out as soon as you open the door. There's the whole, you know, I don't want to play with you for the whole day and then the five minutes that you're actually doing something like on the phone or on your computer, that's when they want to play. They're they're pretty universal and I guess the only um, point of difference might be the way in which uh, my cats and I deal with it all. And, and I like it, McCready, sort of suggests that, well, when you call uh, him, he doesn't always come and gives the ideas, well, I could be asleep, I could be just ignoring you, or I could be meditating. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> I, I live in a, a fairly small apartment and there have been days where I've spent half an hour looking for him, wondering if I've accidentally let him out or something like that. And it turns out he's just, you know, he's either been following me around the whole time, just out of sight... Uh, or he's been in the most obvious place he could possibly be. And as soon as I'm, I frantically find him, he's sort of like, hey, you know, what's up? And then having to explain to a cat why you have to go out to work and just not play with that cat. Yeah, well, like most of us, I guess, over lockdown in particular, um, I spent, um, I, I work in, was working in retail at the time, and so therefore I was spending a lot of time at home. And they quite enjoyed that and as soon as I went back to work the fuss when I would come home just you know you you left us forever we counted it, it, <laughs> how dare you but that's cats for you and playing with the cat playing with the cat and the, the cat's loving it so much what do they do 
We all have this problem with cats. Well, because I've got the two, they do actually play together a lot, uh, which is really good. A lot, a lot of kind of rough housing, but no kind of violence, which is which is quite good. Ripley, for the record, is about half the size of McCready. He's a big floofy cat, so he's big, but he's also got like you know eighty percent of him is hair, and she's tiny. Always has been. She looks like a kitten, but she gives as good as she gets, and she, you know, he he's got that air of never having really grown up he really does come across as a teen whereas she comes across as kind of almost like a mum character mm. at home and given some of the stuff he puts her through and she'll kind of put up with it for a while and they just go nope you know pour on the on the face kind of stuff I, I think the um yeah the attitude I've kind of given her in the book is uh fairly justified a lot of the time really well McGreedy also is you know a young um, cat who you know likes to stretch and do things and also doesn't like it when you brought home a pet rabbit no no that was uh, that was something that, that happened I, I will admit to one thing which is that some of the stories in here are uh, from past cats but again they're like most of them are things that have actually happened. But I did at one point, um, you know, house a rabbit for a friend. And, yeah, you'd, you'd have thought I'd have brought in a, a Great Dane, you know, to this big... It was another big floofy cat. But, yeah, the reaction was, oh, my God, what's this invading? It's going to kill us all. And, of course, the the rules are, the council rules, female cat has to be neutered. Oh, yeah. Nearly all of my cats through my life have been um, rescue cats. So they've all been from um, cat protection societies. Both of these cats, in, in the, the year apart that I got them, came from the um, the Lost Dogs home in, in Footscray. And, of course, you know, you get them and they're, they're already, you know, dealt with, I think, the only way to, to go, frankly. And going to the vet and and having been traumatised by where the therm- thermometer goes. <laughs> yeah, yes. Again, that was one of the more recent things that happened only about sort of six or seven months ago, just doing some checkups and vaccinations and what have you. And, um, yeah, he thought he thought the vet was lovely. She was a lovely girl. He was having a great time being patted and where's she going around the back? And, ah! And, uh, yes, he um, didn't speak to me for a while after that. <laughs> Cats. Now, they're often around in our living rooms and... Well, we assume they're watching the television. So Greedy actually do, does learn a lot from television. Oh, absolutely. Yes, you know, a bit of... I, I, I've cut back on current affairs the last couple of years watching sort of free-to-air because it makes me angry, quite frankly. But um, I certainly do look watch news shows and what have you, as well as, you know, other sort of just things just for entertainment. And he often just sits there and kind of, you know, looks along and seems to be taking it in. I did like the uh, conversation when... Um, Greedy had been watching a TV series about British colonisation <laughs> and questioned Chuck about who owned the house. Yeah, well, I, that, that, he hasn't let that go. That that happened a couple of years ago now, and he, he still hasn't let it go. I think he, but he, it's, it's more the, he doesn't say it so much. It's more in the way he behaves. And of course, if there's a cat inside, there's got to be a litter tray. But uh, McCready quite often chooses alternative areas. Yes. Yes, he yes he does. Probably the less said the better. Although I did actually have to get rid of a um, quite nice chair recently because I only recently discovered that he'd been uh, you know both sitting on it and using that as a scratching pole. Yeah, yep. don't bother using that other one. Now, of course, anything about we know about cats, they do like to play, and chasing a laser light. And looking and, and and chasing a fly, and of course, any collectibles that were around on shelves, gone. Yes. A lot of people, um, when they have kids, for example, will tell their friends about how you know, they've just had to toddler-proof everything. And they get used to it. It's only when you go into a house that's got those kind of proofings that you suddenly find that you can't open 
doors as an adult or you know open open things it's now second nature for me to cat proof stuff just in terms of where I put new belongings or where the, you know where the valuable books go or um, what room things are in. I've got one room that is closed to the cats all the time because mm-hmm. the stuff in there is you know heirlooms and books and what have you it's not necessarily that they've done anything terrible to those the possibility there's the possibility because they haven't treated my shirts or uh, the underwear drawer <laughs> particularly well over the years okay well of course, McCready's coming up to it at his first Christmas and there's something new happening in that house. So this is where we're going to get McCready and Chuck back to A Christmas Tale. Hey. Hey. What a... Oh, my God. What? Oh, my God. What? So beautiful. Must play with it. The Christmas tree? No. Keep your paws off it. What is it? Told you. Christmas tree. You say that... Like it means something. It's a tree you put up at Christmas? Uh, Christmas. It's a religious celebration. Some folks mark the day by celebrating the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. Which folk? Christians. Well, that's a happy coincidence. Others just see it as an occasion to put up decorations, enjoy big family dinners, exchange gifts. And that's still part of the religion? Not religion. Particularly. Thought not. You're not religious. No, I'm really just in it for the eggnog. I can respect that. Can I play with the tinsel? No. (laughs) Just a little? (laughs) There's no such thing as a little with you when it comes to playing with tinsel or ribbons or shiny decorations of any sort. I'm still picking bits of Halloween decoration out of the carpet. If I just play with one of the ribbons on those things under the tree? No, those are the gifts I'm giving this year which I just finished wrapping and there is no way in hell you are touching them. So shiny. In fact, don't even look at them. Gifts. Did... Did you just hiss? The tree. So shiny and fuzzy and twinkly and gifts. All covered in crisp paper and wrapped in curly ribbonses. Ribbonses? Lovely gifts. Okay, your eyes look like giant black marbles and you're you're drooling over your chin. My precious. Hey, do I have to smack you on the nose with a rolled up newspaper? That's for dogs. Well, I hope you enjoyed that reading. <laughs> Very good. Well done. Now, look, in front, you actually apologised to the children for your dog jokes, and I couldn't. Um, why would Reedy claim his litter tray as a tax deduction? Mm. Oh, because he does his business there. <laughs> and you also say in the book, the spelling in this book is standard Australian, and I like that reason. American readers, because of course you can buy it on Amazon in various different countries, got all the extra O's, yeah. extra U's, I should yeah, say. Yeah, got mo- a lot more vowels. So yes, you get that's your right. mo- more of your money's worth, you know. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Cats aren't the other thing you write about, so what else do you write? Look, I, I um, originally I was, I sort of had a, a bit of a reputation for um, writing um, horror and um, and comedy, well, first comedy science fiction, uh, specifically comic stuff. Sort of, I've been publishing stuff since 1999, I had a novel, and then there was a kind of a series of uh, short stories, and there was about a six or seven year period where I was really kind of pumping it out, roughly sort of six to seven short stories published a year, and due to various reasons, including admittedly some sort of mental health issues the science fiction comedy slowly started dovetailing into horror comedy and then into straight horror and then I took a very very long break again for all kinds of reasons and I only came back to writing maybe about two or three years ago um, and it's all been pretty much horror since then straight horror maybe the occasional laugh but generally not 
Well, I don't think McCready or Ripley are, can be put into that horror genre. Kitty Littertray would <laughs> adequately come into the horror well, I don't know, genre, it's, wouldn't it? It probably counts as cosmic horror, you know, the man against the uncaring universe. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Chuck McKenzie's written Conversations with My Cat, a book of dialogue where you can read between the lines to further understand the characters. Thanks very much, Chuck. Thank you. I can't. Now I'm going to throw it open. Are you? Books where animals talk. Well, actually, I've just... um, This isn't an interview I've played, but it will be played next year. I interviewed Graham Ackhurst on Borderland, and he's got the animals as uh, totems. It's indigenous, so the magpie... Magpies talk, as we know anyway, but the character has the magpie as uh, a sort of representation of self, which Mm. is interesting. I have read lots of books that have dogs in them but not ones that talk specifically. Have you, Jan? I have. I chatted with Louisa Bennett and she has a series about a dog detective. And I really like the way that these dogs, they share their, uh, you know how dogs go around sniffing things, they have wee mail. Oh. Um, Listeners, we've put up on our website, Publish Not website, a list of books that we've read through the year that we really enjoyed. So, David, was there one that you... Well, there's several (laughs) that I enjoyed. Um, I had fun with uh, some international authors. Uh, Amando Lucas Correa uh, had difficulty understanding him at times. You've got to listen carefully to to his accent. But that gave me a perspective because he's writing about... Uh, Cuba and things like that and the background there I wasn't familiar with at all so I actually learnt something in that regard so that was fascinating for me. Well um, that 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 does sound fascinating. I, I interviewed Megan Rogers who wrote The Heart is a Star. Um, it was a beautiful story and um, it was it was a family sort of set in it was about that sort of middle stage of life and all of its difficulties. Um, it was a little bit set in in Tasmania. It was lyrical. Um, it was how we can uncover our true selves when we're forced to face the myths that make us. Is um, was the strapline. So it was a wonderful read. Yeah, mm. um, yeah. And what about you? Well, I. I think most people have read The Dictionary of Lost Words by Pip, Pip Williams. She used some of the characters and wrote another book called The uh, Bookbinder of Jericho. And I, I really enjoyed it. You know, it was, it was, you got more in depth. You know, you knew that time of history and it was most enjoyable. That's been turned into a film, isn't it? Dictionary of Lost Words has been turned into a play, a I play. think. Uh, I think it's That's running right. in Sydney. I have ah. tickets, actually. It's coming to Melbourne in February. Oh, yeah. Oh. Fascinating. Good well, one. what about you there, Chuck McKenzie? Is the book that, that took your fancy this year? Oh, look, there were quite a lot. And again, my, my reading tends to skew towards the dark stuff, the dark fantasy and the, and the horror. Um, one that really jumped out at me, I, like I say, there were quite a few that I read that were amazing. Um, some collections, some, you know, anthologies um, and also some novels. The novel that probably stuck in my mind the most is by uh, a, a, a British-Australian author called Alan Baxter and he wrote a novel called Sallow Bend which um, is one of those small town horror novels and it's about, um, you know, town where everything's yeah you know, it's got all the ingredients there's a, there's a circus that's come to town there's a kind of well-established old 
town there's areas of you know outskirts of the town that people don't go because there's the local legend of the witch and what have you and uh two young girls go missing and you know search parties are out there finding and there's blame being assigned because there's all these tensions already bubbling under the surface as happens in all the best small town horror you know mm. books um and you know, so these two girls are missing and the search parties then find the three girls Ooh. yes the three girls three girls and, and everyone goes oh yes cool we've, we found the three girls mm-hmm. and it gets weirder and nastier from there Sounds interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Well, don't give the ending away. That's the thing about interviewing, giving endings away or having to sort of temper your questions Mm. so you don't give things away during the interview. It's so hard. Especially with crime. Yeah. That's right. Because to explain a mechanism or a plot device, it it sort of is, you know, a a cue to giving up. Away the ending, yeah. Mm. And so much is concealed in a, in a well-written story, you know, and it's very sort of um, intelligently crafted so that all of those key moments are left right until the end. So, yeah, it's hard to have a dialogue about how they've done that without <laughs> sort of saying, so when did you, when, when did he, you know, tell us when that he died? When did the butler do it? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. and, and how does it all play out? Yeah. yeah. It makes your job that little bit more difficult, I think, in a way. Well, talking about sort of remote countries, one of the uh, detect or the crime novels I read about was The Rush by Michelle Prack. And that was set in this isolated country pub. And, you know, there's the, the rush is the floodwaters that were coming in. So the whole community has to come to this flood, to the pub if they can. And we know that somebody, one of those, is not nice. But that's yeah. almost like an Agatha Christie where everyone's brought together in the library at the end of the novel. Yeah. Um, I'm just making guesses here, but it, you know, bringing everybody that might have been have done it to expose the criminal. Ooh, let's <laughs> go for a lighter side. What about comedy? What about a com- comedic one? A comedic yeah. one? Well, I, I, I did the, um, the Tea Ladies. Now, this was set back back in the 40s, 50s, when they were tea ladies. And it was set around the fashion area in Sydney. And it was so so good. It was just a laugh and laugh. Oh. Loud. Robert Gott. Oh. <laughs> oh. Yeah. Yeah. I'm just trying to uh, think of the plot line now. But, I mean, he, he just takes things to extremes. Oh, that was right. There was a politician who had a portrait done of himself and the artist thought it had to be spectacular. So they painted the politician in the nude. Oh. And yeah. the comedy that arises from that, because the politician then finds he's uh, eligible to be promoted to premier or whatever, because we keep losing premiers and politicians these days, they keep resigning. And so elevated, and just by using that word elevated and new, you, you sort of get the idea of, of what, what the problem is wow. it, it, politically. It's, it's, a, it's a hoot. Yeah. Well, talking about sex, I can I can mention Sylvia Kwan's book, and it was all about Vincent Van Gogh and how he picked up this prostitute and housed her, looked after her and her daughter and a, a, a new baby, and whether Vincent actually used her or whether she used him. It was a year in his life, mm. and it was it's all based on research too. But it was really really. Most interesting book. Yeah, I mean, authors are incredibly inventive. Humor, mm. Lisa. <laughs> so, humor. So, I most of my 
um, books that I've interviewed people with on this program have been sort of a, a historical fiction or um, something not so – although I am actually reading something at the moment which is extremely funny um, called The Green Dot by Madeline Gray and they, the publicist sent me that book for this program so I'm hoping I can you know get her oh, next year really. sometime but she her work is hilarious this really really sort of sardonic sort of wry humor and um, set in an office at this point in time I'm sort of about you know a third of the way in um, and it's just her voice she's just a, has a hilarious way of viewing the world if you want comedy you could take the published or not program because they keep <laughs> the comic events keep happening. Behind yeah, the, but I keep editing the them out when I podcast <laughs> them. <laughs> uh, I think the, one of the most beautiful books, and you know, inside and out, was Colin uh, Batruni's book, The Bannerman Shortlist. Now here, his it was just a, a, a hardback copy and just beautifully presented. But he not only had to write the book, but he also had to write the six books that were shortlisted. So there was all of these, you know, sort of imaginative things and then, what you know, gift. just what happened at the awards night. It was really, you know, really a good a book. A great premise, a great yeah. idea for a, a story. Yeah, excellent. Hmm. Well, yeah. We've, these books and many others are on our website now. So um, if you'd like to get the names of them, do. Over the next three weeks, we've got uh, summer programming, but we've got some of the um, people Favourites. that yeah yeah the books that we really did enjoy back in podcast. Now I just forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> oh, that'll be terrible. edited out. Actually, too. Uh, that, that, that's the thing. Thank you. Yes, <laughs> to edit David out uh, on the cutting room floor. That's that's happened to me before. Um, but also, I mean, if you want to send in com- comments about any of the shows you've uh, heard or listened to, um, we'd appreciate that as well. That's feedback that we can use. Absolutely. So where could they send that to, I, I guess? 3CR. Mm. Yeah, they'd, they'd love to. We've had a few, one or two, mm. that have been quite uh, supportive, which is fantastic. And we also get an indication of how many people have listened. If they go into the podcast, it registers. So mm. we can get a sense of what our listenership is actually like. Yeah, that's yeah. right. It'd be nice to know a little bit more from you know who's receiving and what, what they think. And um, Did they go out and buy the book? Did they go out and buy the book? Very, that's exactly it. Let's put our author on the spot because Chuck McKenzie came to our program directly. So how did you learn about us, Chuck? Um, I had uh, listened to a, a couple of um, uh, the, bod- the podcasts, the broadcasts um, over the last couple of years because I'm friends with a lot of authors and some of them were, were, were coming on and what have you and I like to support um, other authors as much as I can by buying the books. I mean, I um, also ran bookshops for a, a few years and made a point of getting in sort of Australian small press and things like that. So uh, you're our one listener. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> as soon as I've left here, I will. I will email you and you know, make suggestions. <laughs> okay. Well, that's it for publishing off for the whole of 2023. We've read over, I suppose, close to uh, nearly a hundred books. You know, yeah, which is more, just wonderful. Yeah. It just shows you how how rich the the writing culture is in Melbourne or Australia and, and Australia and overseas. Yeah. So, but. Published authors, uh, independent authors, self-published, we do them all. That's right. Thank you to all those wonderful authors that came in to meet us. Indeed. Okay. See you next year. See you next year. See you next year. Bye. Bye.
You've just been listening to Published or Not on 3CR. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.